1: Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, where spirituality and recovery meet, with Rev. Anna Schaus, Ph.D. Now, here's your host, Rev. Anna Schaus.
2: Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, where we support your spiritual growth in recovery. My name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your host. Thank you for listening with us today. I'm very glad that you've joined us. We've got another great program. I know you're going to enjoy it and be uplifted by it and, and learn some things that maybe you hadn't thought about before. And uh, so I want to thank you for listening. Again, glad you're here. Thank you so much for liking the Spirit of Recovery page on Facebook. Thank you for posting on our wall. Thank you for uh, letting me know via email uh what's happening for you and your recovery and your spirituality walk. And thanks for letting me know that what we're doing here on Spirit of Recovery does make a difference for you, that it does uh, open up your heart and your mind to some new ideas and uh, that it's a blessing for you and that you are inspired by the guests that uh, I bring here on to Spirit of Recovery. It's uh, great to be broadcasting on the topic of recovery and spirituality right here on unityonlineradio.org. And um, again, so good to hear what we're doing is making a difference for you every week we have topics that are important to the recovery community and guests who are down to earth knowledgeable and innovative my guests are people who are either in recovery themselves or who work with or write for recovering people and they're always bringing you practical information that you can use and lively discussions that get you thinking You can listen to Spirit of Recovery in a variety of ways. You can, of course, listen uh, via your computer, via your smart device. You can also go to Stitcher.com and download their app and search for Spirit of Recovery. Um, You have, uh, if you have an Alexa-enabled device, you can ask Alexa to play Unity Online Radio. You can listen via iTunes. Um, So you can listen live. You can also listen at your leisure. Uh, We've got lots of uh, years' worth of great programs you can go to unityonlineradio.org/program/spirit-of-recovery and listen on demand, and you'll find lots of great programs. Um, you can look through those and find some that really particularly stand out to you. I want you to know that Spirit of Recovery is a welcoming place. So if you're a person that's in recovery from any kind of an addiction, or if you're the family member or friend of somebody that's got the disease of addiction, or you're just curious about addiction and recovery, you're welcome here. I'm very glad that you're here. And I always uh, want people to realize that family members and friends also can engage in a recovery process for themselves as family members and friends. Because recovery is a big tent, and it's a family disease. It's a community. Disease really, and so anybody uh, can benefit from the process of recovery. I want you to know uh, also that you're always welcome to participate um, by uh, calling in or emailing in a guest. Or excuse me, not a guest. Ask my guest <laughs> a, a question, and or make a comment about our topic. So that was my guest that thought that was pretty funny. We can't. We cannot email her in. So. Um, You can, you're welcome to participate, whoever you are. I want you to know also that if you like what happens on Spirit of Recovery or the other wonderful programs here on unityonlineradio.org and if you'd like to support those financially, you can do that. You can text Unity Radio to 72727 from your smartphone and you can make either a one-time or an ongoing contribution. Again, my name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your Spirit of Recovery host. I'm a unity minister and an addictions counselor, and I'm also a person who has in my own circle of love and friendship many people that have the disease of addiction. And... Uh, over 35 years ago, those relationships were a catalyst that got me started on my own spiritual growth path, and I'm grateful for that. So my path is an integration of recovery principles and unity principles, and that keeps transforming my life. It keeps me growing, and uh, keeps me grateful. So I am delighted to have the opportunity to share uh these ideas uh, with you on spirituality and recovery and to share uh, great guests and with all their experience, strength, and hope that we have here on our program. Our topic today is we are willing to grow along spiritual lines. And uh, you may or may not be aware that that is a sentence taken from the book Alcoholics Anonymous, and it uh, talks about, and what it's referring to, of course, is the idea that a recovery, uh, as lived in through the twelve-step programs and, and through many different avenues of, that people choose, and there are lots of ways to engage in recovery. That one way or the other, that it has to do with being willing to grow spiritually, which uh, can again be understood in many ways. It's basically meaning a willingness to live by different values than one was living by in the process of active addiction. So um, today we're going to be looking at what does it mean to grow spiritually and how in the world do you do that? Because, you know, that's what really uh, we're doing in recovery is we're learning how to live from that spiritual place, from spiritual values. The recovery pioneers, meaning the uh Early members of the group Alcoholics Anonymous, which was the founding twelve-step program back in the 1930s, they wondered the same thing. They were like, "How do we? We don't know much about spirituality. Um, we felt a lot of them at that time felt like they'd really been burned by traditional religion, one way or the other, and." Um, they a lot of them weren't too interested, you know, in in getting engaged in some kind of a formal religion. But they knew they needed to live by spiritual values, so they were looking for new ways to understand what spirituality was. One of the guides that they found was this book um, by Emmett Fox, who was a, a metaphysical thinker, a new thought thinker, um, very similar to Unity. He was a friend of Unity, and and um, he uh, was back in the uh early 1900s and uh he he was a, a a writer he was a speaker and he was a minister he wrote many things and uh one of the things that he wrote was his interpretation of uh Jesus sermon on the mount which is found in the bible in the christian testament in the book of matthew matthew uh, chapters 5 through 7 so this is Emmett Fox's commentary on that, and it's, Emmett Fox called it the Sermon on the Mount. And the early members of Alcoholics Anonymous used this uh, to help them understand some things about spiritual growth. So my guest today is going to tell us a lot more about that. My guest is Roxanne Graves, and Roxanne is a person in long-term recovery. She's been in recovery for 31 years. Roxanne is also a Unity minister and she's a person who, um, among the many things that she does in ministry and as a person in recovery, she has taught this book, Emmett Fox's Sermon on the Mount, many, many times. And it really is important in her own life. And again, she's had lots of experience in sharing it with other people. So today she's going to share with us how the wisdom from this profound book uh, touches her life and how it gives a really fresh, powerful uh, insights for people in recovery today in terms of spiritual growth. And Reverend Roxanne is the associate minister at Christ Church Unity in Orlando, Florida, and she facilitates the spiritual education program there for people in the church and also internationally for ministerial students and and for other people that are interested in growing spiritually and taking spiritual classes. And she also, um, of course, serves her congregation and serves as a mentor and a guide for the congregants there at Christ Church Unity in Orlando. So, well, I got to tell you one more thing about her. She lives in downtown Orlando with her partner and their two daughters. They have two dogs and two cockatiels. They have a front yard organic garden, and they recently became certified as urban chicken farmers. And I'm impressed with that. <laughs> and they have plans to have four egg-laying hens in the near future. They may already have them at this point. I don't know, but anyway, welcome, Roxanne. Thank you for being Thank my guest. Thank
3: you.
2: Yes, and Thank Roxanne's so been my much. guest in the past. Yeah, so glad you're here again. Glad you're here. So, um, yeah. So I gotta know: are, Do you already have your four egg-laying hens? Have you we already got? Do
3: not. Not yet. We Do not. We we live in a special part of town, which means that we have to have a very special. Um chicken coop. so ah. we haven't gotten around to do that yet. We we've gotten the plans for the very special chicken coop um passed through the city and through the historical society,
4: but uh-huh. we haven't
3: actually built it yet. And then all there'll right. be the whole thing about whether or not we agree on which chickens to get, but it'll all be wonderful. That'll be good. You'll work it out. That's good. So, Tell us
2: about the Sermon on the Mount. How did you get introduced to this book? Again, this is Emmett Fox's commentary on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, but Fox's book is called The Sermon on the Mount. So
3: how did you get introduced to Emmett Fox's book? Well, the first time I saw it, actually, my daughter's nanny, my best friend, had recently moved into town, and she had started going to the Unity Church before I did. And she invited me one night to this book study. And the reason she did this is because I was in a point, I was probably 12 years in recovery, 10 or 12 years in recovery, and um, I was going through one of those horrible uh, dark nights of the soul. And the things that had been working before were no longer working. You know, that, that 10 year spot in recovery where you come to the, real, the realization that really, truly, the only thing that is going to work is deepening your connection with God.
4: Uh-huh.
3: And so the things I had been doing weren't working anymore. And I was very, it was a very, very dark time. And she invited me to this uh, book study. And when I got there, it was they were studying Sermon on the Mount. She had studied it in Tampa when she lived there and found the group as soon as she got here. And I sat there the first few weeks and just cried and cried. I don't even remember what sections of the book we were reading. I'm not sure, you know. I just knew I needed something different and so there it was for me. when I was ready, it was available mm-hmm. and that's
2: all wow so um had you you'd
3: never heard of it before, even in recovery I had never circles? Heard of it mm-hmm. I had actually not been raised in a Bible family, never actually read the Bible, didn't know anything about it and um that was part of. That was the most beautiful part of it. Actually, I think, is that starting to read this book introduced me to the Bible that had scared me my entire life. Mm-hmm. Everything I'd ever heard about the Bible was all the do's and don'ts and all the rules and what's going to happen to you, all the gnashing of teeth and things that are going to happen to you if you don't do everything you're supposed to do. And, of course, being in recovery, I'd had many, many years of not doing what it was I was supposed to be doing, so there was a lot for me to feel that I could be afraid of. And this book started to take the Bible just a little bit at a time and give me the opportunity to see it as not something scary not something that was threatening me, but something that was giving me the answer to what I was feeling. Something that was giving me the answer to that emptiness that was in me, that really Jesus wasn't here to condemn us, but to save us, truly, to remind us who we really are. And, and I think I fell in love with the book, for that simple reason, and Matthew, the book of Matthew, of course, is my very favorite book in the Bible because of that as well.
2: Mhm. Yeah, that's
3: beautiful, and
2: um, I love what you're saying too. When you're saying that Jesus came to save us to teach us who we really are, and that's a, a really deep spiritual understanding. It's it's different from sometimes what traditionally people mean by that phrase, saving us, right. but, but you're talking about something different, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, I'm talking, so. about, us, um, uh-huh. I'm talking
3: about us being of God, talking about us being divinely blessed as children of God, not born of original sin, not um, miserable sinners, but truly divine blessed human beings with access to all of the gifts that the universe has to offer.
4: Mm-hmm. It's a really sure.
3: different outlook than I had when I was, you know, growing up.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: For sure. Well, you know, um, the in the beginning of this book, and I'm sitting here looking at it here, so I've got, got a little advantage here. What, in the preface, what uh, Emmett Fox writes is that his his objective is to present the reader with a practical manual of spiritual development. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's really what the early AA members, the people that were very, the very beginnings forming this uh, fellowship, this recovery program, mm-hmm. which became Alcoholics Anonymous, that's really what they were looking for. Could you tell us a little bit about the history of Emmett Fox's uh, Sermon on the Mount book and how it intertwined w- with AA?
3: Well, I know that AA, um, uh, a gentleman named Al that worked with Bill W., his mother was Emmett Fox's secretary. <laughs> hmm. It's a small world, right? Yeah, yeah right. Really. And it was not an unusual thing for the AA groups to close up and then head over to wherever he was lecturing and listen to Fox. His- Yes, Emmett Fox's lectures. Um, you know, he was he was he was saying something different. He was a, a New Thought minister, and he was telling them about a God that was good, a God that was love. Um, the book is basically uh, the philosophies of New Thought philosophy. God is the only power, and that there is truly no substantial evil that we form our own destiny by our own thoughts and beliefs and actions, and that conditions don't matter. When we pray, um, there's a solution to every problem, and God's in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. These were, and that we're children of God. God is perfect and good, therefore we are divinely blessed. These were totally different ideas for most of us. I mean, even even still today, people new in recovery. It's a brand new idea that, one, we're not a victim. We actually do have uh, a lot of responsibility in what happens <laughs> in our life, even though we don't like to take it all the time. We, we do actually create our experience based on our thoughts, our beliefs, our actions, that God is truly only good and that God and the universe is only wanting the best for us. These are like totally different ideas than the ones where you have to beg and grovel and make sure you do just the right things in order to get in God's good graces. New Thought and Emmett Fox was telling them that what Jesus really did teach was that you do have God within you, that you do have access to all that you need to not only make it through your day, but to be blessed by that day. Great stuff. (laughs)
2: Yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah, and uh, so Tell us, you know, again, I know you've taught this book many times, Roxanne. Tell us how did you start teaching it, and uh, what was your motivation? Well,
3: I, I came to that book study, and it was actually at the Unity Church on the corner of Orange Avenue and Anderson, the same Unity Church that I'm a part of now, but in a different location. We have moved since then. So, I continued on with that book study, and that's been, well, I guess my daughter was 18 months old, and she's 23. So, it has moved and changed a bit here and there over the years, but eventually, um, it ended up in my home, and I've just been teaching it and doing book studies on it ever since. It has been a vital piece of my recovery. I'll, I'll go through it with newcomers that want to go through it. And I'll go through it with oldcomers that want to do it. I have some folks that have been coming to my book study for probably 17 or 18 years. But oh. um, we'll go through the book and then we'll take a break and read something else. Sometimes it's another Emmett Fox book. Sometimes it's, you know, Brene Brown, whatever. And then we'll go back to it because it's so fundamental in my recovery. It's so fundamental in helping me understand my relationship to God that without keeping it in the forefront of my mind, I I feel not grounded.
2: Mm-hmm. It's
3: been that important for me.
2: Wow, that's powerful. And tell us what... Uh, what are some of the things that stand out for you, and that um, and stand out for the people that come to the class? What are some of the specifics?
3: Oh, there's so many different uh, reactions <laughs> for people coming to the class. As you had mentioned, I think in your introduction that so many of us, you know, might have felt burned by uh, formal religion in some way or another, and this book is actually like his his talks put together and he, he did not mince any words. He assumed that everybody there understood what he believed and probably believed the same thing. And he was absolutely certain about pretty much everything he ever said. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) So the book comes off exactly that way. I think right in the beginning, it says something like, uh, I'm sure we can all agree that Jesus Christ was the, you know, best prophet ever on the planet, ever in the universe, and, you know, goes on and on, which sometimes not everybody in the room is, necessarily, someone following Jesus. And so that, you know, we can have all kinds of upset about that right off the bat, right, Uh which is interesting, And, and that helps people put resistance up a little bit. So we always have that when we've got a group of newcomers, and um, I just ask them to remain open, um, that no, Jesus wasn't the uh, only important prophet on the planet, but just bear in mind that this man, that that's his opinion, that's what he's saying, and after that, then every time we come to one of his big statements, then everybody kind of giggles a little bit, and And, you know, we keep moving on. So sometimes the reaction is, this is crazy, and I don't want to read this anymore. And they'll leave. I won't see them for a while. And then two years later, they'll show back up and go, okay, I'm ready. Mm
0: -hmm.
3: Sometimes the reaction is um, fascination in the very beginning, because the very beginning of the book talks about what is it exactly that Jesus did teach? we're told that a lot of things about Jesus and what we're supposed to think about Jesus and how to follow Jesus and how to praise Jesus and but what is it that he really taught and the very beginning of the book is all about Fox's opinion on what Jesus taught and it's simple and it's uh mystifying, <laughs> he tells us, you know, like I said earlier, he tells us in the beginning of the book that we we have a direct connect to God. That we have God within us. And all Jesus ever wanted us to do was love one an- one another. Just love one another. Do what's the next right thing. Love God. Love your neighbor. Do the right thing. It's all about love, love, love. I think it's uh, page 13. Um, do you mind if I read a piece out of it? Oh, please do. Yeah, please read oh, it. Let me, let me grab it here real quick. I just lost it, actually. Um, page 13 has the... Uh, what we would use in the opening any time that we do the Sermon on the Mount. Let me grab that for you. And we read this before. We read this before every, every evening that we meet. We'll read this first because in, in my opinion, this encapsulates everything that you're going to, to read in the book. And it's some pretty intense information. And if we're going to have trouble with it, let's chat about it now. You know, that kind of thing.
4: Mm
3: -hmm. Let me see. The spiritual key to the Bible rescues us from all these difficulties, dilemmas, and seeming inconsistencies. It saves us from the false positions of ritualism, evangelicalism, and what is called liberalism alike, because it gives us the truth, and that he puts that with a capital T, and the truth turns out to be nothing less than the amazing but undeniable fact that the whole outer world, whether it be the physical body, the common things of life, the winds, the rain, the clouds, the earth itself, is amenable to man's thought and that he has dominion over it when he knows it. The outer world, far from being the prison of circumstances that it's commonly supposed to be, has actually no character whatsoever of its own, either good or bad. It has only the character that we give it by our own thinking. It is naturally plastic to our thought, and this is so whether we know it or not, and whether we wish it or not. All day long, the thoughts that occupy your mind, your secret places, Jesus calls it, are molding your destiny for good or evil. In fact, the truth is that the whole of our life's experience is but the outer expression of inner thought. Now, we can choose the sort of thoughts that we entertain. It will be a little difficult to break a bad habit of thought, but it can be done. We can choose how we shall think. In point of fact, we always do choose, and therefore our lives are just the result of the kind of thoughts we have chosen to hold, and therefore they are of our own ordering, and therefore there is perfect justice in the universe, no suffering for another man's original sin, but the reaping of a harvest that we ourselves have sown. We have free will, but our free will lies in our choice of thought. This is, in essence, what Jesus taught. So we will read that in the beginning of every book study.
4: Mm
3: -hmm. And every, every night, I'll ask, does anyone have any questions about anything in that statement? Because we're talking about big stuff in that statement. Mm -hmm. We're we're talking about we have control over the winds and the rain, the clouds. We have we have control over our experiences. That our thoughts can make the difference between good or evil in our day. We are that that whatever it is that's within us is what we're expressing outside of ourselves. There's so much stuff in that little bit, and he goes through pretty much through the entire rest of the book laying that out for us. Mm-hmm. And I, I, as you can imagine, you know, sometimes people, often people new in recovery don't even understand at all what any of that meant. But as they start to... Uh, you know, come alive and the light starts to come on and they start to realize that, you know, God, God truly is love. That they truly are good. That all these horrible things that they uh, have been doing under the influence of whatever they're doing isn't who they are. It's what they've been doing when they aren't being their innate, natural, divine self but that they are beautiful, divine beings.
2: Right. And that's so important because um, that's what really recovery is all about, is finding out what you're just saying, that we are innately good, that God loves us, and that we have the ability to choose
3: and create a better quality of life. Right, right. And that we don't just happen into our circumstance. That somewhere mm-hmm. along the line we did something to get ourselves there. <laughs> and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, we're mm-hmm. not victims. And we start to learn and grow and, and take responsibility for ourselves and and quit saying everything that we're thinking and Start looking at what our life looks like and relating it back to what we what we're thinking, what we're feeling, what we're doing
4: mhm mhm,
3: and you know it's a long process to go through all of that um in cleaning up the wreckage of your past and making amends and uh, this and that and the other, but it's far easier with a set of instructions that. Tells us this is how it's done. Absolutely.
2: Yep. And and really, uh, I I will say this. I'll own it. I I believe this is anyway how I see it is that the whole program of recovery based in the twelve steps, again based in the book Alcoholics Anonymous. It, one way of looking at it, it's all about the power of choice. Yep. I can choose something different today.
3: Yes. And I can Mm -hmm. choose something different five minutes after that, too. (laughs) Yes, that's right. Yeah. And I have many a time.
2: Yeah, indeed. That's the truth. (laughs) That's true. Well, it's time for our break. So um, my guest is Roxanne Graves. She's a Unity Minister. Uh, She's the Associate Minister at Christ Church Unity in Orlando, Florida. She's a person in long-term recovery of 31 years. And um, she is a person who dearly loves the Sermon on the Mount and Emmett Fox's interpretation of that called the Sermon on the Mount and she's taught it and lived it many times so we're having a wonderful conversation about we're willing to grow along spiritual lines stay with us we'll be right back in just a few minutes here on Spirit of Recovery welcome back to spirit of recovery and if you're just joining us my name is Anna Schaus and I'm your host and my topic today is we are willing to grow along spiritual lines and we're talking about uh, Emmett Fox's book Sermon on the Mount which is a commentary on Jesus Sermon on the Mount found in the Christian Bible in uh, the book of Matthew chapters 5 through 7 and uh, we're talking about how that was a, a wonderful book for the early members of Alcoholics Anonymous Emmett Fox's book that they used to help themselves learn how how to develop spiritually. My guest is Roxanne Graves, who is a person in long-term recovery of 31 years, and she's a unity minister. And she loves Emmett Fox's book and, and the Sermon on the Mount and it moves her life in so many wonderful ways, touches her recovery. And she's taught it many times and has an ongoing, uh, group or a a group of people that get together, uh, frequently and some are long-timers, some are new and, and study this book and she's getting ready to, uh, get a group going again in, in uh, the next month. So she's sharing with us the richness of this book and how it can inform recovery today and help us to grow spiritually. But before I get back to my conversation with Roxanne Graves, I invite you to join me in a brief uh, meditation, the Serenity Minute, in a moment of relaxing, of sharing a constructive idea. And this is taking a few moments in the quiet to relax, to open up, and uh, let yourself Feel that presence and that power that is your higher power. So I invite you to relax, to feel that presence of your higher power, feeling relaxation as it moves through your crown of your head, through your face and shoulders and arms and hands, feeling relaxation move through the trunk of your body temple, all the way through your legs and feet. Let your heart and your mind open and share with me this constructive idea. I am willing and eager to grow along spiritual lines. For I trust the love of my higher power. I trust that I am good. I am willing to grow along spiritual lines. I'm eager to grow along spiritual lines. For I trust the love of my higher power. And I trust that I am good. I invite you to relax now for a moment in the quiet. Thank you, friends, for joining me in the Serenity Minute. And I trust that that was an opportunity for you to relax, to let go, to let your heart and mind open, and feel that conscious connection with the love of your higher power. And now I'm back to my conversation with my guest, Reverend Roxanne Graves. And uh, we're talking about, we're willing to grow along spiritual lines, and Emmett Fox's book, Sermon on the Mount, which is a commentary on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount found in the Bible. So, Roxanne, you were telling us uh, before the break, again, the power of this book and this power of of Emmett Fox's understanding of of God as a loving presence, not as some mean sort of rule-giver person, and um, uh, sharing us how the richness of this book has touched your own life and your own recovery, as well as how you share it uh, and have been sharing it so richly with people for what you said. Eighteen years or more, so it's it's wonderful. So I wonder if now you could share with us some of the specific things because that the Sermon on the Mount is just chock full of, of just detailed. Inst- it really is mm-hmm. ideas. So what's what are some of your favorites and what do
3: they mean to you? <laughs> Every time I get to a new chapter, I was, say, oh, well, this is my favorite. And the group always laughs. But at the time that I say it, I always mean it. Because it is, <laughs> it is really. Um, each, each part of it has something really fundamentally important for me. Um, the Beatitudes. I grew up hearing them in church, and basically all I could remember about them was that you have to be meek and, uh, poor, and you have to mourn, you know,
4: mm-hmm.
3: and, and that's how you get to go to heaven and see God, and, and it never sounded very interesting to me, but that he opens up in, in chapter two a whole new idea, well, first off, about what heaven is, not, not a place that we go to after we die, but that place within you where you commune with God. And in order to do that, you do have to quiet the mind, quiet all those thoughts. You do have to be merciful and pure in heart. And my favorite one, I think, really, is blessed are they that mourn for they shall be comforted. I, I've experienced that in my life um, where I was in so much pain. I think I I think I, um, explained that in the beginning, and that's how I found the book to begin with. I was in so much pain, and I didn't know how to get out of the pain. And finally, when I was able to turn around and just ask God to take it, I was... Comforted, and I know a greater depth of God for having mourned to that depth.
4: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: Not that this, you know I want to walk around like that all the time, but what a what a gift! Truly blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Mm-hmm. So he opened up the Beatitudes. Um, as something real for me, something that I could look at every day. Um, blessed are the poor in spirit. How much do I want to argue a point? Most of the time I would argue a point and, and all I'm doing is trying to be right. So I'm getting irritated and irritated and more irritated and not getting anywhere. The poor... uh Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So, do I want to be happy? Do I want to be centered in God? Or do I want to just be right? And that's a big thing that's said a lot in recovery. Do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? For me, that's that beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Then, um, after the, and those are just like, Straight out of the book instructions of things that you can look at every single day. Then um, resist not evil. Oh, love that chapter, resist not evil. You have to understand that I would have been, a, I would break a copier before I would ask for instructions on how to use it, right? Mm-hmm. That, that's, you know, I had to be right about everything. Had to be first, had to be right, had to, I know more than everybody else. And he talks about, you know, it's, it's where he talks about if if someone slaps your cheek, turn turn your cheek and let them slap the other one. Mm-hmm. If he wants your coat, give him your cloak also, or, you know. And you think, well, wow, that doesn't sound like much fun. No way but the whole idea of resisting not evil oh my goodness gracious i remember specifically i had been studying the book for probably three years at this time and we had just read the section in this book on resist not evil and i had gone into work and i had done something that i thought was just fabulous (laughs) I just thought, you know, I'd done this wonderful thing. Well, I did actually um, overstep my bounds, but back in early recovery, you know, I didn't really have any boundaries, but but I had overstepped my bounds, and my boss called me into his office, and he, you know, started telling me, I'm thinking he's calling me into my office because he's going to give me a big raise in a corner office, but really, he's calling me in there because he's going <laughs>
4: to...
3: You know, give me a hard time because I really overstepped my bounds and should never have done what it was that I did, as fabulous or not. And, um, and for the first time ever that I could ever remember, I did not try to explain myself. For just a moment, I took a breath and I thought, Roxanne, he is the boss. Let's not argue today. Hmm. And I said, after he was done, I said, you know, you are absolutely correct. I should not have done that. And he was so ready for a fight, you know, because he had worked with me.
4: Uh-huh.
3: And afterward, he, he had nothing else to say. He just went, well, okay, go back to your office. <laughs> and I was like, wow, just not evil. I felt clear and clean, and he was right, and I was wrong, and so what? Mm-hmm. It was the first time I could ever remember not being afraid, not having to defend myself, to be truly clear with, you're absolutely right. I shouldn't have done that. I thought I had found a magic trick to Let's see, what else is in there? Um, I I love his interpretation of the Lord's Prayer. Absolutely love it. It wasn't in the original book, but they put it in all of the editions now, um, the Lord's Prayer. I learned so much about Forgiveness, you know, we have so many misconceptions about forgiveness. Mm -hmm. When we're in recovery, we have a lot of resentments, right? That's, we come packed full of resentment.
2: (laughs) That's right.
3: (laughs) Yeah, and they keep getting us, you know, in trouble over and over and over again. And it's really important to be able to do a thorough house cleaning and getting to that part of um, the prayer work that happens in a four-step, which sometimes gets overlooked, but in between the part where you you say what it is that you resent them for and what it has affected in your life, then there's this little heartbeat of a stop there where there are two prayers you're supposed to be saying. You're supposed to be praying for them, for the people that you resent, that... um, God, give them everything that they could possibly ever want in their lives. And then you're praying for yourself. God, let me look at this person differently. Release me from the bondage of this resentment. And and that's to be done before you ever get to what is your part about it. Um, and why I went off in that direction, I have no idea. But let me see. So so we work on, we work on the resentment.
4: The and, forgiveness.
3: Yes. And, and what, what's important about forgiveness isn't that we are saying whatever they did was okay. Or that we're condoning their behavior. Um, so much of it is about, again, that whole idea of we're letting them win. If we are not mad and angry at them forever then we're letting them win we are we are powerful people we like to win and those those uh hanging on to that will take us right down the right the wrong road so we've come up with this whole list of people that we have resentments against everybody on the planet we make a a list of what they've done what we don't like how they did it and what it affected. Now we look at what our part of it is. Until I can actually let go of that hatred just a little bit, there's no pe- n- no possibility of me being able to see where I might have made a different choice at some point.
4: Mhm.
3: And I love the part that he tells us that When we have a resentment towards somebody, it's like putting them in jail. The problem with that, I mean, of course, we want them to be in jail because, you know, they've done us wrong, of course. (laughs) That's where we want them. But Mm -hmm. the problem with that is then we have to stay and be the jailer because somebody has to be the jailer. So now we're hooked to the one thing that we dislike the most and we're hooked to it permanently permanently. And dragging them around with us always. And I remember when I really got an idea of that, um, I I could see myself, as I was going to sleep, that this person was the last thing I was thinking about before I went to sleep, and the first thing I was thinking about when I woke up. And I was like, no, 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 I don't want them to. I don't want that to be what I think of before I go to bed and when I wake up. They have to go away. They have to go away. <laughs> but um, in order to do that, you have to forgive them, and he does such an incredible job of making that something that's palatable. You know. How so does many, he do that? Yeah. Um, by explaining how horrible it is to hang on to it. First off, I mean that that visual of, yeah, you're right. I I am now bound every day to the one thing I'm really disliking the most. That's a great visual. And then um, by explaining how forgiving is actually freeing you. That forgiving is about clearing the way to the sunshine of the spirit. Forgiving is letting yourself, allowing yourself to be open and available to all the gifts that God has to offer, that until we can let go of those resentments, we can't experience the kingdom of heaven.
2: Right. It's like the whole book and, and really his how he's really... Talking about what Jesus taught, as you were saying earlier today, is it really is about the interior life. It's not about all the stuff that goes on in the outer, but it's about changing how you see yourself and how you see your relationship to life. Right. That's what can free
3: us. Right. Yeah, exactly. And who knew? We had the power all along. Who right. knew that? Mm-hmm. I sure didn't know that, and I didn't believe him either, not at first. I mean, it took a long time, many readings, for me to really start to get it, and, um, you know, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly, but
4: <laughs> mm-hmm.
3: he covers, "In as a man thinketh, what you think is what you're going to experience, as within, so without, how you treat others and how you're going to be treated. If you don't like the way your life is going today, look at what you did to get there. Look at what you're thinking about. Look, about, look at the energy that you're putting out into the world because you're just getting back a reflection of what you have inside. He also mm-hmm. goes into your treasures in heaven, talks about putting all of your treasures toward God not trying to accumulate things. Of course those of us who practice prosperity principles know that by putting our treasures in heaven, putting our treasures you know, to God, that we always have the external things that we need so we don't have to worry about being taken care of in that way if We Put Our Treasures in Heaven. It just, the whole book just took the Bible, broke it down, and made it real for me every day. It just made it something I could understand, I could follow through on, and I could actually watch it work. And it came from the Bible, I'd have never guessed.
2: Not in a million years. Mm Mm-hmm. Wow. What's your final word of uh, wisdom that you would leave us with, Roxanne, about this (laughs) powerful book? You've shared so much with us. Wisdom. Um,
3: Don't uh, give up on it before the miracle happens. Keep keep at it. Do the next right thing. Read things that irritate you. Do things that you don't want to do. Stay with people who are living the life that you want to live. You know, I think... Sometimes those of us in recovery are probably the most stubborn human beings on the face of the planet. Mm -hmm. And so much of this book is about surrender. Surrender your life, your love, your ideas, your treasures, your talents. Surrender it to God and watch the miracle happen.
2: Thank you, Roxanne. Wow, that touches my heart for sure. It's the truth, and it really opens my heart. So I want to thank you, um- Roxanne, Rev. Roxanne Graves, the Associate Minister at Christ Church Unity in Orlando, Florida, and a person in long-term recovery. Thank you so much for being my guest and for sharing with us about this incredible book, Emmett Fox's Sermon on the Mount, and helping us understand in some deeper ways how to grow along spiritual lines. Thanks for being my guest. Thank you for asking. So glad you're here, and thank you all for listening. I'm so glad you're here with us today, and you have a blessed week, and I know – Everybody, all of us are growing spiritually, and that is a wonderful thing. So have a blessed week, and we'll be back next week on Spirit of Recovery.
1: Thank you for listening to Spirit of Recovery with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D., and her guests. Join Anna and her guests live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central Time for down-to-earth ideas about keeping spirituality at the heart of your recovery. This program is brought to you in part by Soul Matters Ministry, committed to bringing light to the soul. Online at soulmatters-spiritworks.org.
0: The Voice of an Awakening World.
1: Confucius said that to be wronged is nothing unless you continue to remember it. If we can let our past remain in the past, we are not compelled to endlessly reenact it. If we seek to understand the situations in the other person's life and put forth the effort to walk a mile in his shoes, we may be less quick to take offense at what may be directed toward us. Understand that forgiving does not mean excusing, but dwelling on past slights or offenses can never help us grow. Unforgiveness always diminishes us. An African proverb says, The one who forgives ends the quarrel you can be a powerful agent for healing. Let go of old hurts. Let the past be the past. Forgive.
3: This message has been brought to you by the Association of Unity Churches International. To find a Unity Church near you, visit www.unity.org.
1: Do you ever feel that calling that you should be doing more with your life? If you're unhappy with the status quo, I can help. My name is Elias Patris, and I'm an intuitive motivator, Psychic medium and motivational speaker. I know that feeling. And on my podcast, Your Inner Voice, I can help you answer that call to step into your life's purpose. I will show you how to recognize and listen to the signs and signals that are all around us and help you tap into your intuition. Join me for the show here on the FM podcast network and wherever you get your podcasts. Let's connect, educate, and grow
4: on this journey together.